0: Hey everyone, welcome back to 82 Games, a quick little solo pod today. I love the trade deadline, so today I just want to talk a little bit about some players who might be available, which teams might be looking to upgrade, and who might be selling before the February 9 deadline, so stick around for that. We're also going to have a quick look at some of the All-Star starters now that we've finally got the media votes and the player votes in. Before we get to that, this week has been Rivals Week. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Like, today alone, we saw Embiid go at Jokic and drop 47 and 18 on him. He absolutely stitched Jokic up. That was a hell of a game. They caught fire in the last quarter. Thoroughly enjoyed watching that. Good to see Jokic just have another big to really compete against. And Embiid, the real problem with him has just been health, hasn't it? So, to see him come out and dominate today was awesome. He sneaks under the radar a lot, I think. The next game was the Nets and the Knicks. The Nets had no KD or Simmons. Kyrie comes out and drops 21 in the last quarter and gets a huge win for the Nets. It was quite enjoyable, just that sort of fight for New York game. I really enjoy that. Kyrie is now leading the NBA in fourth quarter scoring at 9.3 points a game. That's impressive. Coach K was there sitting courtside to watch, obviously, Kyrie and RJ, so that was pretty cool. Then it's straight into Lakers v Boston. One of my favourite, I think, matches for a rivals week. LeBron drops 41, 9, and 8. He's on an absolute heater at the moment, isn't he? It's unreal how good he's been since he turned, what, 38, I think, in end of last year. There was some real issues with the umpiring. Check the highlights out for that one if you haven't seen them. LeBron went in for a a layup to beat the buzzer. And was he fouled? Was he not by Tatum? There's been a hell of a lot of interesting thoughts on socials about that. I'll let you guys decide, but... The answer was absolutely yes. <laughs> also, some quick news before we get into some trade deadline stuff. Woj has just tweeted out that Miles Turner has agreed to a two-year contract extension with the Pacers worth $60 million, including a $17 million renegotiation on his salary this year. Wow. That is the largest renegotiation in NBA history. So what does that mean? Well, it looks like the Pacers view him as a key building block, doesn't it? After all those trade rumours too, we were speaking about him possibly going to the Lakers for their two first round picks and Buddy Heald. And now we find out that they want to keep him around and build around him, uh, Matherin and obviously Halliburton. So that came a bit out of the blue. It felt like he was a bit more on the market, but then the last month, it really quietened down. So, I mean, it's probably not a huge shock, but The renegotiation to add $17 onto this year's salary is pretty big, so Pace is pretty happy with Turner's performance this year, and he has been really good. We should also quickly touch on Rui to the Lakers. That came out of nowhere. There were some rumblings around the last couple of weeks that Rui was unhappy with Washington and probably wasn't going to re-sign there, so The Lakers didn't give up much to get him. I mean, three second round picks. Kendrick Nunn, who just has been really disappointing for LA, has barely been on the court. And they get back Rui from Washington. It's not much to give up, is it? So what does that really mean? Well, I think it means two things. One, it just shows Rui hasn't been that great and other teams weren't willing to put forward any better offers than that for him. And two... He's on an expiring contract, so the Wizards don't want to pay him. They're clearly saving all their money to throw at Kuzma at the end of the season, and I think that's the right move, provided you feel confident that Kuz is going to want to stay as well. He was a big fan of the LA life, so how's he going in Washington? We don't really know. It seems like he's happy there. He's playing good basketball. But, I mean, the Wizards have just drafted so poorly over the last five-plus years. I mean, Denny Avdi has been not great Rui's obviously not been fantastic and this year's pick Johnny Davis I mean yikes he's he's been in the G League I mean that's not what you want to see from a young guy on a team that's not performing so theoretically people say Rui's a great three-point shooter he hit 45% of them last year which is a Really impressive number, but for his career, he's only a 35% shooter. So, depends how you look at those statistics. Do you think his shooting has just dramatically improved over the last 12 months, or was the last season a bit of an outlier? I mean, at the end of the day, it's a low-risk trade. It's good for both teams, but it's sad to see the ninth overall pick in only the 2019 draft, be traded after three and a half years for only three second-round picks. I mean, that's got to hurt for Wizards fans. The Wizards' management need to get their shit together, don't they? I mean, what's the long-term plan? Your guess is probably as good as mine. You pay Kuz at the end of the year, then what? Like, what is the five-year plan? Are they going to run it back again with Beal, Porzingis and Kuzma? Like, We've seen that this year. It's not a super great three-headed monster so I just I don't know I think they need you know to probably move on from Beal I've said I've said that on TikTok in a few videos I'd love to see him get flipped he's just on such a huge contract now and with the no trade clause they've they've really made it difficult I understand he's a good player and he's happy to be in Washington but at what point do you pull the pin and start a full rebuild around Kuzner I think it's probably sooner rather than later Okay, trade deadline is going to be here in just over a week. Let's dive into some sure things. So people who should definitely be moved before the deadline hits. Jay Crowder comes to mind quickly. He's 32 years old now. I thought he was drafted in like 1968 or something. It feels like he's been around forever. He still has something to offer. Defense, grit theoretical three-point shooting, although nobody really wants him taking game-winning threes for their team. We saw that with Boston, Miami, some other teams throughout his run, Memphis. So where does he end up? It's probably somewhere on a team looking to make a playoff run, maybe a contender. Rumors have been for the Bucks. I'm not sure now that they've got Joe Ingles. I feel like, you know, there's probably not a lot of backup minutes at the forward spots for Crowder. I think Ingles, Portis, Lopez, Giannis, Middleton, you know, how many spare minutes are really there for for Crowder? Miami have made a move for him with a swap for Duncan Robinson, but, oh, gee, why would Phoenix want to take on Duncan Robinson's contract? You know, Crowder's only on the books for $10 million this year. Then he'll be an unrestricted free agent, so he will get moved. Where is the real question? Eric Gordon... This poor guy has been stuck with all the young guys losing in Houston. He wants out of this rebuild. He said that publicly. Um, the last three and a half seasons, he's averaged 6.4 three point attempts at 35%. It's not as high as you'd think, is it? It feels like he's this lights out three point shooter, but I mean, they're not Ray Allen numbers by any stretch of the imagination. I think they should have moved him last year. I reckon teams would have given up a first-round pick for him, but I think those offers are probably gone now. Can he contribute off the bench for a for a good team? I think he could. I don't actually mind the idea of him somewhere like Philly. He's an underrated defender, can hold up a bit. He can get hot with his shooting, and the interesting thing with Philly and why I like him there is he's played with Harden, and it worked well. And he gives them just another ball handler as a bit of insurance if Maxi goes down a bit. You know, he could run some second units if needed. But once again, how many minutes are there in Philly? I mean, Maxi Harden, Melton. I mean, you could play Gordon as an undersized three. That has been done. They did that in Houston. So that could work. But, I mean, he's on the books for $19.5 million this season with a team option for $20 million next year. I mean... Jesus, I'm probably just as likely to get a spot on Joe Rogan next week as he is to have that accepted as a team option. So that's going to be a hard one to move as well, but I'm positive he'll end up somewhere. Uh, Houston want him off the books, and and a contender will certainly be able to use his services. Bogdanovich, for those of you playing at home, that's the Detroit one. (laughs) He's now 34 years old, but he's scoring 21 a game. Wow, I mean, 42% from three. He's been really durable throughout his NBA career, even though he started later in the NBA. I think he was playing overseas in Turkey for a few years, so he did come in late. Brilliant signing by Detroit. I mean, they are really going to cash in on him. They'll be able to flip him now for at least a good first-round pick and possibly a young asset coming back. I think that's what they'd want, not only just a pick, but maybe a young asset as well. The Lakers had some real buzz to get him again. They're obviously buyers in this market, but they're, not, they're definitely not going to give up two picks to get him. That would be silly. And I think they need more guard help than they do as a scoring four, especially since they've brought Rui in. He's going to eat up some minutes in the backup sort of 3-4 spot. Obviously, Bogdanovich is way better player than Rui, but I think the Lakers probably need to look for a scoring guard more so than another scoring forward because with LeBron and AD in there, they're going to... They're going to take a lot of those starting minutes in the forward and center spot. Plus, Thomas Bryant's been good. So, I don't know. I'm not sure Bogdanovich is the perfect fit and he will get attacked on defense. I could see Miami pushing hard for him. I've mentioned that on previous podcasts. I think he'd be a great fit next to Bam, someone who could really stretch the floor and shoot and take away some of Miami's weakness of three-point shooting by having Bam and jimmy butler out there so i think he'd be a great fit how about as a slightly different team what about if the hawks made a move and they just flipped john collins for bogdanovich i actually really like that as a move for both teams you get great floor spacing in atlanta and you get a 25 year old in john collins to bring to detroit i i I don't know. I think he could work with Cade and Ivy. He needs more opportunities because he can really play. He's a good player. He's just not getting any shot attempts with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray out there. Now, Collins is certainly having a bad season. He's only averaging 13 and eight, but just three years ago, he was 21 and 10 a game while shooting 58% from the field and 40% from three. So I'd love to see a young team like Detroit, try and rejuvenate his career. I think he'd be a good fit there. Now, let's move on to two what I'm calling selling teams. Let's kick it off with the Raptors. Are they buyers or sellers? Nobody really knows. Like, do they want to add one more piece and really go for it, push for the playoffs and try and make a deep run by adding someone else with a little bit more championship experience to this roster? It's possible, or do they just want to pull it down and rebuild a bit on the fly? So, what are their key pieces? Who do they definitely want to keep, and who's available? I think they definitely want to keep Scotty Barnes, obviously, and Siakam is another one who, it just feels like if you're getting rid of him, you're not going to be able to bring back the player that he is. So, Some of the guys who still have some real trade value, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent and OG, those names have been thrown around a lot the last week. And I think some, if not all three of them could end up being on another team if they decide to pull the pin. OG has been rumored to be able to get something in the vicinity of three first round picks to poach him away. That's a hell of a lot, isn't it? I mean, look, he's a, good versatile wing but he's not going to be your number 1 or number 2 option on a contender. So how much can you really give up for that guy? He's more of a player I think that you'd bring in as a final piece to build a championship team. So who could that be? What if it was what if it was Memphis? You said we'll give you Dylan Brooks and two first round picks or Dylan Brooks, two first round picks, and a Roddy or a Laravia, one other young young guy. I just that could really work, couldn't it? I mean, you bring him straight in; he's a huge upgrade over Brooks for Memphis, and that would just really. Bolster their perimeter defense and give them more of a consistent scorer over Dylan Brooks and a guy who plays his role at a better level than Dylan Brooks. Sometimes Brooks gets a bit carried away, wants to take over games. I think OG would also fit in really well with that grit grind culture in Memphis. I can't see them moving off C. Arkham and Scotty Barnes. I mean, God, Scotty Barnes has only been. He's only been playing for two years. I mean, he's 6'9", he's averaging five assists a game. Give him some time. Some people are saying he's had a real dip compared to his rookie year. I mean, people go through these dips. You've got to give him time. They're so young, especially the players that are handling the ball as much as he does on offense. So let's dive into Freddie Van Vliet. I actually quite like him a lot as a player. I think I'm probably higher on him than others. I think he's strong. He's a pretty stout defender for someone his size, and he can catch fire from deep. Yes, he's been pretty disappointing this year, so teams would be trying to buy him low. But I think he could be good enough to be a third option on a contender, in my opinion. He was an all-star last year. Don't forget that. And he's a career 38% three-point shooter. So where does he go if the Raptors decide to move on from him? Well, who's in the market for a starting point guard? There's not many teams, is there? Most teams are settled with their point guard, whether it's a young guy who they're giving time to, someone like a Cade, um, even a Halliburton, or it's other teams that have got more veteran points who are clearly going to be the starters for that team, like a Drew Holiday. So who needs a starting point? I think Miami do, and I think LA do. So I've been working on a three-team trade. It's an absolute blockbuster trade with over $120 million in contracts. It's a three-team trade, which I know it can be very hard to balance contracts, and it involves Lakers, Raptors, and the Heat. So, in order to get this deal done, Miami give up Kyle Lowry, Nikola Jovic, Duncan Robinson, and Dwayne Dedman. The Raptors give up Boucher and Fred Van Vliet, and the Lakers just give up Russell Westbrook. So who ends up where? The Raptors end up with Kyle Lowry, Nikolajovic, and Lakers, one of their first-round picks in the future that there's been a fair bit of hype around, so one of those, probably whichever one they'd prefer. The Lakers get Fred Van Vliet, who would be a huge upgrade over Schroeder or Beverly, you know, you can go back to really starting a decent point guard in Van Vliet. They'd also take on Duncan Robinson's contract and Dwayne Dedman and the heat would receive Russell Westbrook and Chris Boucher. Now, why does, why do I think this works all round? Well, we'll run through that just quickly. So the Raptors are happy because they get one of these coveted Lakers first round picks they also get to take a chance on Jovic, who looks like he could be the goods, and he's only you know, a first-year rookie, so he would take some time in their development system, and they get this Lowry-Farrell reunion tour off the bench, which I think may actually happen. I could see Lowry going back there as a bit of a bench leadership role for six months or a year. I don't think he's a starter on an NBA team anymore. The Lakers get a good scoring point guard who could play off LeBron and AD well, and Miami... While probably bringing back, I mean, they'd be bringing back Russ, obviously, but they get off Duncan Robinson's contract and Kyle Lowry's contract. So even though Russ is on a huge deal this year, 47 million, something like that, they get off the books on the longer-term contract with Duncan Robinson and Lowry, which I think they're really trying to do with this deadline. I don't think they want Duncan Robinson's money on the books any longer and he's on there for years to come. Plus, Miami would also get an upgrade over Dwayne Dedman with Boucher and I think they do need a backup center, someone who could play with Bam and eat up a couple of minutes, even as a starting center for patch minutes, and someone who could also space the floor. And I think Boucher could do that theoretically better than Deadman. He can have stretches where he can hit multiple threes in a game, and I think he'd be a nice backup center for Miami. Another interesting team to keep an eye on this week is the Utah Jazz. They have some interesting pieces, don't they? I mean... Markinen, you would have thought he's on the market at the start of the season, but I mean, he has just shown himself to be a potential all-star and a key building block for Utah. Incredible trade again by Danny Ainge. He just cleans up on these types of trades. So who could be on the move for Utah? Jared Vanderbilt. There's been plenty of teams that could use, backup energy big he's shown some shooting improvement with a few corner threes this year but it's still at such a low volume I don't know how much you can realistically read into that Jordan Clarkson 21 points a game don't let his stats fool you he attempts 17 field goals a game so of course he's going to have some stats right he's a high volume shooter over the last two and a half seasons, he's averaged eight three-point attempts at 33.7%. Like, that's that's not Kyle Korver. That's not Rashad Lewis. That's, that's none of these really dynamic three-point shooters. I don't know why I said Rashad Lewis, but that just came to mind. He can provide some bench scoring on a good team, yes, but I just don't see a big return for him. Like, at the end of the day, he's more in that mold of a, Jamal Crawford, um, you know, some of those guys that, given more opportunities off the bench, they can get you some buckets, but realistically, they're probably not starters. He's a bit of a spark plug off the bench, and I just, I don't know. I'm not even sure of him as a character guy. You know, it seems like he's gone fisticuffs with everyone this year. He's tried to square up with multiple teams, so I'm not sure if you'd really want to bring him in. It may upset a locker room as well, so I don't know. Mike Conley is another one, similar to Clarkson in the fact that I don't see teams parting with too much to bring him in, but as a backup point guard, he could work. He's 35 years old now, and he's 6'1". History says really old, undersized point guards like that don't last super long in the NBA. But he's a veteran and a steady playmaker, so I'm sure some teams could certainly use him. All right, we should probably get into the All-Star stuff here. Time flies when you're just absolute talking gibberish. So the All-Star voting, we know the starters now. The media and players' votes are in along with the fans. So the fans make up 50% of the starting players' votes. Players are 25% and media is 25%. Some people I would like to discuss on here, Kyrie Irving came in number one for the players' rank in East Guards, number one for the fan rank, and number four for media. So his weighted score was 1.75, which gets him a starting spot. Um, from a media perspective, they had Tyrese Halliburton as the third guard. It's interesting here because the fans have only got Tyrese Halliburton eighth as an East Guard spot. So... Even though media has said yes to him, the fans have clearly said no. They would rather see Trey Young, even James Harden instead. So I think that's interesting. Sabonis is another one. The media have given him the third most amount of votes in the West front court. The fans have said no to him. They voted in guys like Paul George and Anthony Davis ahead of him. Here's my issue. If the media want to credit players like Sabonis or Halliburton for having a great year this year, which they absolutely have. But by thinking this makes them an all-star, how on earth does Russell Westbrook get tied fifth in the West guards from the media? How does he get the same credit as Lillard and Booker from media experts? It's just wrong. I don't understand how that happens, and I think – I just don't think the media – understand what the fans want from this game. This is not an all-NBA team. You don't have to... Just because they've had a good year statistically or they've been very productive on a successful team in the East or the West, that doesn't mean you have to vote them in for the All-Star game. Fans don't particularly want to see Sabonis doing dribble handoffs even though he's led the Kings to a very successful season. The fans have said they'd rather see Paul George out there, and that's fine with me. It's an all-star game, not an all-NBA team. That's my little rant over. Now, tonight is the Australian Open final. Go watch that. I'm just doing a short pod, so go watch that game of tennis, and I'll be back next week with one of the lads to help me break down this week in basketball. Catch you all then.